Hello, listeners, and welcome to a, another episode of uh, Your Movie, My Movie with Dan and Steve. I'm Dan. And I'm Steve. And the movie that we will be talking about in this episode is 1981's sci-fi, fantasy, horror, animated anthology from Canada, Heavy Metal. Wow. Yes. <laughs> this movie is all of that. And more. Yes. Yes, for sure. So this show, we're going to be talking about spoilers. So if any of you listeners want to watch that movie before you hear our discussion, mm-hmm. you know, this is the time to watch it. But before you get into it, uh, for those who haven't seen it, who would you recommend this movie to? Hmm. That's a... Interesting question. I didn't write it down, but I mean, let's see. I would recommend it to um, horny teenagers, horny preteens, um, and I don't know, people who are into animation and anything 80s, 90s rock, because this has everything, everything that they would want. It's, it's, a, it's like an 80s child's uh, wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a great way. That's a great way of uh, putting it. So, who I would recommend it to is let's see, forty something mm-hmm. white male <laughs> geeks who watch hentai. Yes, yes. Now, I am definitely four of those, <laughs> and I will neither confirm nor deny oh, no. one of those. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> it is it is your type of Do you of think that, that, that that's a good that's Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. This movie has a lot of of everything in it. Yes. This movie's a lot. <laughs> yes it is. Now you've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. I've heard about it before mm-hmm. and I've heard of Heavy Metal magazine. Mm-hmm. I am I'm into the art of Mobius, I believe is his name. I know he's like a, a French artist, and they had their French magazine. that was kind of like a sci-fi, cyberpunk type thing. And that seems super cool. I like his art style. I don't think... He, did he have a hand in this movie at all, other than his influence? No, I think it was just the the influence. You know, the art style. They, they tried to imitate his art style. Mm-hmm for some of the segments definitely for the harry canyon one and for the tarna one mm-hmm. yeah those were heavily influenced by by uh mobius so yeah i mean i don't know if you want to get into it now but like the harry canyon one mm-hmm. you can see there's a lot of inspiration you know taken from that for the fifth element mm. have you seen that movie i've only watched like the first 20 minutes maybe. okay okay i had to leave before i finished it 
But it looked interesting. Yeah. I mean, I could totally see that for sure. Yeah, yeah. This movie looks like it's influenced a lot of things. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it's it's influenced a lot of things, but it's also taken influence from a lot of things too. So you're mm-hmm. not sure whether it's you know taking or receiving, basically. Yeah, I yeah. guess then it's it, it's probably an influential movie in the fact that it's amalgamized so much of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. I wasn't expecting an anthology when mm-hmm. I when when I first sat down to it. Oh, I see. Yeah, so that was interesting, uh, unexpected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how should we approach starting to talk about this entire movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we can go, we, I don't think we have to go into details about the plot, but we mm-hmm. can just like talk about kind of what happens in each segment, okay. you know, and, and, you know, kind of talk about, analyze each segment if you'd like. Okay. So the way the movie starts mm-hmm. is that it's space and there's a narrator. Yes. And super a, cool voice. Yes. And he's talking about the evil of the Lochnar. Yes. And um, a shadow a shadow will fall over the universe and evil will follow. Exactly. And then the Lochnar kind of becomes the object that connects all of the all of the segments. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for the Lochnar, like, <laughs> you know, this this would just be like a bunch of random sci-fi fantasy horror shorts. Yes. So, you know, they they have this one thing to hang all of those other things on. Yes. So Some there... of them I was missing the connection, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It's just an excuse. It's just yeah. an excuse. Yeah. Well, you know what? Before before we go into the segments, let's kind of talk about, do you want to talk about, like, the people involved? Yes, I would love to talk about the history of it. Okay. Well, this was this was produced. I know this was produced in the seventies, and then it was released in nineteen eighty one. And this was produced by Ivan Reitman. Okay. And he's the director of Meatballs and Ghostbusters. Okay. Yeah, Meatballs. That's a very that's a pretty raunchy movie. Mm-hmm. It, well, it, not super raunchy, but it does have raunch in it. Mm-hmm. And he was also the director of Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and that also explains the cast. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. You know, this cast has Eugene Levy, John Candy, Harold Ramis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a bunch of other people in, in that orbit. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know much details, but like, you know, some of those casts, they were together in uh, Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. but also Second City, which is like the Chicago mm-hmm. version of Saturday yeah. Night Live. It's improv group. Yeah. Hardcore. But, yeah. Also, like the National Lampoon radio show as well. Mm. I didn't know that was a thing. That sounds yeah, cool. Th- th- yeah, that's a thing. But yeah, so like there's a lot of comedy people in the cast for this, which you wouldn't, one would not expect. And mm-hmm. also, let me see. I wrote down his name because I never paid attention to this before. But the composer mm-hmm. um, of the score is Elmer Bernstein. And he conducted the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra Yeah, for the instrumental music. Mm-hmm. And apparently he was the composer for The Ten Commandments, Magnificent Seven, Animal House, Meatballs, and Ghostbusters. Wow. Yes. Yeah, he sounded, when I saw that name, I was like, wow, I think that's a heavy hitter if in the composer world. Well, I mean, just the, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. just that alone. And then you read what his credits are. And so, I mean, if nothing else, 
If nothing else, uh, this movie is great for its music and sound. Yes. And soundtrack. It, that is impressive about this movie. It's everything in the oral atmosphere of this movie is pretty incredible. Right. Right. Even like the sound effects are really, you yeah. know, visceral and, and impressive. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So yeah, and then the movie starts with that voiceover narration with mm-hmm. shots of space. And and then you get like an image of a space shuttle. And it's like, I'm not sure how they did it because it it doesn't look like photo realistic. Mm-hmm. It looks like they they took like a photo of a drawing yeah, yeah. of a space shuttle and and then out of it comes a Cadillac. Yes. With an astronaut in a spacesuit riding it. Yes. And then he falls into orbit on Earth and then drives off. Is um, that where freaking Elon Musk got his his like send a car into space or something? No, no, but it's very well, I don't think so. Maybe, but back in the eighties, well, I don't know. I don't know which came first. This might have come first, actually, because back in the 80s, MTV was mm-hmm. a cable channel. Uh-huh. And so they used like a spaceman, um, similar imagery I see. to try to get uh, people to subscribe to MTV. Oh. So I don't know if that inspired, if heavy metal inspired MTV to do that mm-hmm. or or not, or if it was just, you know, synchronicity, you know, happenstance. Interesting. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But it's such like, it, yeah, you're right. It's almost like they took a picture and drew over it or like vice versa. Right. It's so interesting. And like the Cadillac also looked just as photo real yeah. in certain ways. And yeah. even the movement of the astronaut was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not photo real because it doesn't oh, look no, like it's a real person, real. Yes. but like a picture. Yes. <laughs> a photo was taken of a it picture. It didn't look like just hand-drawn animation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a rock song is playing and lots of rock songs. Yes, play. plenty of um, rock songs. Yeah, I think it was... I didn't write down it the was, song. It uh, was, what was it? Radio, it was uh, Radar Rider. Yeah, Radar Rider. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And so the astronaut drives drives off and... He comes to this house in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yes. It looks like a Thomas Wyeth, Andrew Wyeth painting. Okay. <laughs> like, it looks like, um, like, like freaking. American the, Gothic? Yeah. American Gothic or what's uh, Days of Heaven? Okay. Terrence yeah, Malick. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is like a farmhouse on a hill. Yeah. It's very Surrounded almost. by wheat fields. Yes. <laughs> that he drove through in his space Cadillac. <laughs> Very Americana. Yeah, for sure. It's, 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 well, that's kind of another funny thing, too, because this movie is very American. Yes. But it was made by Canadians. That's so funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. It is so American. Like, even the first short story or whatever, the, it takes place hardcore yeah. in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the, the astronaut, I believe his name is Grimaldi, because that's, that's the name of the prologue. Okay, the, or, the title or, of the prologue. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he comes in and he has a case and then his daughter, you know, comes down the stairs and she's like, did you get me anything? And he said, <laughs> I sure did. And he has this case and he opens it up and it's this green glowing sphere mm-hmm. that immediately like melts him. Liqu- liquidates him. <laughs> yes. Immediately. Yes. And then she stares at it in horror mm-hmm. and like she doesn't say anything else throughout the entire movie. That's her only lines. Oh my gosh, really? Wow. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. She does some great facial acting. 
<laughs> yeah, the animation actually, for her is is great, and it's really the shadows. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the shadows because they're coming from the orb. Yeah, exactly, and and they're coming low from the orb, so it's it's a very horror, you know, looking, you know, visual. Yeah, like you're shining a flashlight under your face, basically. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The the briefcase opening reminded me. Have you seen Repo Man? Um, no. Actually, a lot of this movie reminded me of Repo Man. Oh, okay. Which I'm probably going to make you watch if you haven't seen it. That's fine. Um, Repo Man came out in 1984, Mm -hmm. and, like, the same type of deal, like, a huge cast of soundtrack people on the soundtrack, very much mix of, like, sci-fi and, and, and sci-fi and other stuff. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, anyways, you got to watch Repo Man. Okay. I don't know if they took inspiration from this or what, but there's a lot of crossover, I think. Okay. But anyways, the briefcase was hilarious. And then Locke... Well, no- you're talking about when they open the briefcase and there's a glow, right? That, and then... Well, Repo Man, the first shot is mm-hmm. like... Spoilers, the first shot. Go ahead. A, a cop opens a trunk, opens a... And there's like a... Like, it, it kills him, and all that left are his boots. And they're smoking oh. boots. Yeah. From the Harry Canyon, is what you're saying, from that one, right? No, from or, the dad dying. Or just from the dad dying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know. Well, when I was thinking that, because in Pulp Fiction, there's a shot where they're opening up a briefcase. Yes. You've seen that shot. I have seen that shot. I haven't seen the okay. Pulp Fiction. But then I remember, no, that's not what it's from. Tarantino's reference is to a uh, a 1950s movie, but maybe Repo Man took it from there. So True. I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> it's all interwoven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Culture. Yeah. Yes, yes. When you have so many references, you can keep track of who's stealing from whom. Our old um, film theory professor Rawlings would say it's the suture, like this, like suture that you know, cultural suture that ties everything together. Oh, I see. Anyways, I don't um, know if that's. The right I never term. heard him put it that way. Oh, okay, so. I don't know if it's the right term or not. Mm-hmm. But Lochnar, right? Yeah, the Lochnar. So the Lochnar basically hovers in front of this girl and talks about how evil he is <laughs> and then relates a story to her. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and that's the movie about how terrible he's been in all these other different places in time. Mm-hmm. And so that leads us to like the first lengthy segment, mm-hmm. Harry Canyon. Harry Canyon, which is the best euphemism for a vagina I've ever heard. Like that, I'm, that's like as good as like. You well, know, there are lots of them in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like as as good and blatant as like Dick Hurts. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. His name is Harry Canyon, and mm-hmm. he is a butthole, basically. Um, let, 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 let's see. How do, how do I put it? Well, what does he do? What does he do? And where is he from? He is a taxi driver from mm-hmm. New York. Very, very taxi driver esque. Mm-hmm. And he's got the accent. He's got the the angst. When of, in New York. When in New York, I think it's the 80s, right? Or is it this? Well, it's early? a future. It's a future oh, New York. yes. Future yeah. New York with flying taxis and, or floating hovering yeah, taxis. Yeah. yeah. It's, the streets are a mess and basically it's overwrought with crime, mohawks, mm-hmm. and um, attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And apparently, you know, that's really how New York City was during the 70s before I think Giuliani... Was it Giuliani who cleaned it up? I have no idea, but I know that it was okay. that way in the early 80s, too. Yeah, and and then it got cleaned up. It's funny, because, can I break in? Yeah. A lot of my favorite indie movies from, like, the 80s are set in New York. Mm-hmm. Like, Smithereens, which is a great one. Susan, Susan Seidelman, 
who went on to do oh man what is it what is that oh man what is that name desperately seeking susan have you mm-hmm. seen that one anyways that movie smithereens is an amazing movie it's like set in new york and it's like it just looks like it's been bombed out it looks like a war zone yeah and then also a lot of early jim jarmusch movies which is one of my favorite directors he has a lot set in new york that again just looks like a a wasteland Mm -hmm. it's very interesting how how similar they look to this cart this sorry not cartoon yeah. animation it's don't, okay don't kill me please <laughs> no no i'm sorry i don't care i love cartoons so <laughs> yeah it's very interesting because you know there's a there's a shot of central park and like there's porn theaters all around it oh i didn't and, even notice this was central park it's park yeah yeah because it has that um statue uh, no no uh not Central Park, Rockefeller Center. Mm. I am not from New York City. <laughs> I have never been to New York City. So if you're from New York, please forgive me. Okay? I've never been to New York either. So yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Florida boy. We have um, plenty of New Yorkers down here, though. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was yeah uh, Rockefeller Center where they have the tree and they do this this the. Uh, ice skating during the winter mm. there's like porn theaters all around mm. and i know like during that time like there were a lot of porn theaters mm. in new york and i guess you know they thought that that contributed a lot to the crime mm. and and grime of that time and then you know they kind of shut them down and then try to gentrify new york city from mm. what i understand right so that was interesting and you know to go back to harry canyon and about him as a character i wrote down that he's fiction's most unconcerned protagonist (laughs) (laughs) he really is he's just like uh oh man that's a great description yeah yes he does not he does not give a shit no no No. and he is not the most morally correct person although he gets out scotch-free from the evil powers of lockdown well i mean when you're in that kind of environment, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in a place that bad, you have to have some moral relativism, I that's, suppose. That's true. Yeah. You know? I guess, yeah. Compared to many, he is an upstanding citizen of that. Yeah. That, yeah. That He's just trying to get by. That's all he wants to do. Just yes. try to get by in New York, mm-hmm. you know? So do you want to get into the, the plot of, of that segment? Sure. Uh, okay. So he's driving a cab. And we have like him, him talking, sort of narrating, mm-hmm. setting up the place and time. And you know, a punk gets in, puts a gun to his head, and immediately he has a, a, a switch on the floor. Mm-hmm. And he flips it up with his foot, clicks, clicks the red button, and it like vaporizes the guy mm-hmm. with a like a ray of light, almost mm-hmm. like a projector beam. Yeah, almost like the Lochnar beam, which I thought was interesting. Oh, interesting. Very similar imagery. Like, the Mm -hmm. guy, like, turns to skeletons and, like, mush. It's very cool. And so he takes the gun, he puts it in the glove box. Mm -hmm. Well, that beam, that's Mm -hmm. just a setup for what happens later. You know, that's all that is. It's a plot device, basically. Yeah, yeah, but it's set up right then. Yes. And then it becomes important twice, once when he tries to use it but can't and then wants again when he needs to use it at the end Mm -hmm. so so and i think like even later like he's going to a meeting and i think he takes the gun out of the glove compartment yeah Yeah, so so it's a double setup Mm -hmm. you know and you know in screenwriting that stuff is important you don't want things to come out of nowhere you know so if you need something you know, you got to set it up beforehand and And it's great when it's set up so efficiently like honestly it really is well done efficient setup 
tight screenwriting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great because it's like a noir. It's like it's like Taxi Driver. You mm-hmm. you have like the noir voiceover, the sort of hardened protagonist. Um, it's very cyberpunk neo noir. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you have that guy. He gets vaporized, and the guys like ah, dime a dozen vaporized people. I mm-hmm. vaporize people all the time in my cab. Um. And then he's driving, and he sees he at like at this like the courthouse type thing. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, or no, it's like some sort of museum. Yeah, museum. What had happened before is we saw an expedition, I think on Mars mm. or some other planet, and a scientist, you know, they're doing an excavation dig. Yes. When they, and they discovered the Loch Nair buried. Mm-hmm. They were looking for it. Yeah, they were looking for it. They had bulldozers, and they had a song. Veteran of the Psychic Wars by Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, and they, they had a refrain as the, as the, as the bulldozers were like bulldozing. Mm-hmm. It was um, like freaking uh, time. Time we've had a break from it. I don't know. It just felt like very much like industrialization, like is destroying places. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt with the juxtaposition, or not juxtaposition, but the you know, combining of the lyrics with the images of the bulldozers. Okay. Anyways. That's fair. Minor observation. Right. So, right, they they excavated it and sent it to a museum for some reason. Yeah. And then and then what happens is the, the archaeologist who excavated it, he's coming out of the museum when he gets shot by some very ugly gangsters. Yes. They look kind of like Kingpin or, you know, any any sort of gangster mob head boss type character Mm -hmm. like you know any penguin looking al pacino looking (laughs) well he does he looks very much al Al, what oh my gosh oh my gosh robert de niro in like the untouchables yeah well i was just about to say like he resembles the penguin from the batman yes Um, the new batman movie yeah played by Oh my gosh, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. And then his makeup was Robert De Niro yes, playing you, Al Capone in The Untouchables, but with more um, marks. Yeah, yeah, deformities. Marks. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the gangster exactly looks like. Yes. Yeah. And so the 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 archaeologist gets killed, he comes out of the doors, then this young girl, apparently her daughter, races out. You know, ask Harry Canyon for help, and he lets her in. And then, you know, we see the gangsters try to go after them, but Harry Canyon, you know, he he, he drives off. Yes, he says, this dame got to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 that's another thing that's so great about this movie is the irony mm-hmm. between the narration and the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, my gosh. I, I, this is probably my favorite one, my favorite short story. Uh-huh. I don't know. Just because it's so... It, this is the funniest one to me. Okay, okay. Because he has so many good one-liners. And just, yes, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yes. And he is a great character. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, okay. so he picks her up. He's uh-huh. like... And also, she's, she has massive breasts and a <laughs> well, lot of cleavage. Well, hold on. Because we have to make clear, you know, whenever we talk about a woman in this movie, they all have massive they breasts. They all have massive breasts. They're all very sexualized. 
Except, yes. but it, there's the only person that is the only woman that is not sexualized is like the little girl in the side uh, in the overarching story. Yes, line. yes. Thankfully, thank so. goodness. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, like the first image we get of this lady is like her panties are in the shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's what happens is she gets into the back of the cab, but then she passes out. You know, she faints, mm-hmm. and so we we the camera is like at the angle of her ass basically, yes. and she's wearing. Like she's wearing like these knee high boots mm-hmm. and like this one piece where it's like a blouse and it shows her cleavage and like there's like a little flaring skirt. Yes. Yeah, like, um that only goes up, you know, to mid thigh at the the lowest. Yeah. And she has you know, you know, and panties that go right off her ass. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like Yeah, it's gonna be that kind of movie. Yes. And it, it gets worse. <laughs> it it gets worse. But um, so right, he he has her in the car. She passes out. He's like, "I'm gonna take her to the police station, see yeah. what they can find out." Basically, yeah. So he throws her over his shoulder, takes the gun. Does he take the gun out here? No, not yet. Right, not yet. Um, he take, he's she she. Ugh. He throws her over his shoulder. Starts walking up the police steps. The police building on the outside looks like. The I don't know. It looks like a a, a fallout shelter. Yeah, <laughs> it's got like metal doors, graffiti all over the doors, and there's like a camera that addresses the knocker. Well, it's not not a fallout shelter, but it, it looks more like the headquarters of an army during war in a war zone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a bunker. Yeah. It, yeah. A bunker. So it's got like a camera that will like basically let people in or mm-hmm. not. So he goes in. And what the the sex <laughs> workers? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yes, the sex workers all recognize him, and and talk to him. I, I, he basically, I, I forget. Mm-hmm. He's rude to them. Anyways, mm-hmm. they make jokes. And then he goes up to the police desk, and he's like. Uh, I need help. This lady needs help. She passed out and murder. I need to report a murder, right? And he's like, that'll be like 10 grand for an investigation, right? Or like some crazy amount. Yeah. So he's got to pay for an investigation. Mm-hmm. Then what? He, he he gave them, well, here, here's a dollar. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. So then he like, what? Takes her back to his he apartment. He takes her back to, to his apartment because he's got no, no place else to go. Mm-hmm. And then, like, she's trying to say, hey, I need help. And then she just gives this, in, you know, exposition about, oh, yeah, it's a Lochnar and the Venusians are after it. And, oh, my gosh, I need help. And the entire time, he's, like, getting a beer, making a sandwich, pouring mayo <laughs> on it, watching TV, picking his teeth. Yes, taking off his shirt, watching, it tur- literally turns on the football game. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Oh, okay. He talks like me when I'm talking to somebody. <laughs> He does, yes. Yeah. And then he's like, beers in the fridge. Yeah. Sleep on the couch. Yeah. And and then he goes to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> and then she comes in while he's he's getting um while he's starting to sleep. And she's like, Can I sleep with you? And then he's like, sure, if you want. And then she gets naked and they 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 bang it out, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's another thing. Like, like, you, well, I mean, it's a it's. You know, they show her get nude, you know, yes. they're they're showing things off. Yes. Especially her 70s bush. <laughs> she's, she's a redhead and she's got a 70s bush. Mm-hmm. So. 
Um, oh man, he had uh, some great lines here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and, and the song that's playing is Open Arms by Journey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, what was his line? Oh my gosh. It was like, you know, um, you know, he's all American. <laughs> yes. Nothing like some good old all American, you know, I, I, I forget the exact line. I guess I didn't write it down. Mm. Oh, wait, 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 I did. Nothing can beat good old American know-how. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, this me. is a couple of minutes after an illegal alien joke. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that joke. There's like an actual green alien guy. Yeah, an extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial. Yeah. And he's like, well, I left my license in my car or something like that. Yeah. Anyways, it, that was pretty funny. But... It's a damn illegal aliens. Yes. So, so they have sex yeah. they've sh they show plenty of of her yeah and then what the next day he says the danger of her turned him on <laughs> yeah yeah i think he goes out you know doing his cat no no what happened was um what happened is he wakes up mm -hmm. she's not in bed right and then the police come in yes and they're like hey where's the girl mm -hmm. and um he's like i don't know yeah <laughs> he's like well um you better if if you know where she is you better tell us and if you don't you're going to be dead mm -hmm. so now the police are involved and are yes. actually wanting to look for her and then he goes out and he you know tries to get cat fares and that's when he that's when one gangster comes in mm -hmm. and threatens him. But before he can do the switch on the floor, Rudnick, the, the, the penguin-looking gangster, mm -hmm. comes in and he's like, yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Right. And he's like, yeah, the girl has something that me and uh, the Venusians want. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we bankrolled the excavation, and so we want to purchase the Loch Nahr from the girl for a fair price. So you need to make it happen, basically, is what he says. Yeah. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and then he gets a message to meet with the girl at the Statue of Liberty yeah. at a certain time. And and so he goes there and she's like, Yeah, I, I made a deal with a gangster, but I'm I'm afraid. So will you come and help me make the exchange? And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's basically like, she had a nice face. So, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, different, different. I was thinking of a different part of the movie already. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they go and they, they go to the, the exchange, right? Mm -hmm. We might be skipping ahead a little bit, but basically they go to the exchange. It's a bridge. Of course, it's always a bridge. Yeah. He pulls up, he's, he's in the cab and she's, she goes and sets down the briefcase with the Loch Nahr inside and what is it what's his name Rednick Rednick he sets down the briefcase with the 30 30 grand 30 300 grand 300,000 chrono bucks I think yes yeah and so she takes it gets into the cab and he's oh oh wait he says yeah I, w I was feeling generous I'd help her yeah I'll take 50 percent oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm. Oh man. Uh so then yeah, she hops in 
and well redneck opens the cage with a lochnar and so oh, like yeah. every time so, just so you all know like every time somebody picks up and touches the lochnar they melt into goo yes it's wonderful yes <laughs> and so you know redneck opens the cage with a lochnar and he picks it up with his bare hands and he turns into goo and it's like wow. you know, if you know anything about the lochnar like why would you touch it why would that you know you paid all this money it's the power steven oh it's I, the power that's right he ha- he has to hold the evil i suppose yes. yeah if you're not a true superhero villain i mean supervillain until you hold pure evil in your hands okay that's fair haven't you seen time bandits <laughs> i only saw it once when i was a kid so okay. yeah Anyways. Uh, so yes, he, he melts. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the taxi, mm-hmm. the woman, I forget her name. Mm-hmm. She is like, ha ha ha. That's all well and good. Thanks for your help. Pulls out a little. Well, no, no, no. What happens oh, is, what happens is Harry, Harry Canyons is like, Hey, we're rich. Why don't we go on a vacation? Oh yeah. Just the two of us. <laughs> and it's like, now that he's got his money, you know, he's finally invested. <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's yeah, true yeah. and and then you know the girl in the back seat she's like oh no I, you know it's not gonna work harry it's not gonna work out i have other plans mm-hmm. um and then she pulls out her gun and then that's when harry you know flips the switch and vaporizes her mm-hmm. what a shame what a yeah. shame yeah and then he drives off. Yeah, he drives off. And then the Lochnar is on the bridge. And then it floats away. And it does narration to scare the little girl. Mm-hmm. And we get to our next segment. What's his name? Den? Den. Yes. Yeah. And this is a sort of science nerd kid mm-hmm. who's doing like a science experiment with lightning. And he's building some sort of contraption. And mm-hmm. I forget how he gets the lock. Well, it falls. It always falls like a meteorite. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> Wherever it goes, it falls like a meteorite. And yet he's doing like experiments with natural electricity and lightning. Mm-hmm. So he takes the lock and he like connects it to his contraption for lightning. And so when lightning strikes the contraption with the lock it teleports him to a place called Neverwhere. Mm-hmm. And then he transforms... Where the women never wear clothes. No. Well, they <laughs> wear loincloths because, I mean, I guess, I guess you can't show 70s Bush, like, constantly in a movie. Yeah, I mean, I there wasn't vagina shown. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess they had to censor that and... They also couldn't show a lot of bush, I, I suppose. Well, I mean, I guess they had to show good taste at some point. <laughs> good taste? They had, like, coins over their crotches. <laughs> Literal. Okay, anyways. Anyways. Yes. So the kid, mm-hmm. lightning strikes, Lochnar glows up mm-hmm. and, like, shoots him into space. Mm-hmm. He's, like, naked falling through space. It's very 2001. Space, space and time. Yes. Space and time. My, mm-hmm. my bad. It's awesome. It's like super psychedelic. We got crazy colors. Mm-hmm. It's like things are blowing up. It's it's really cool visually. And so he falls and he becomes this huge buff blue guy. I don't. Yeah. He's actually not blue, but in that scene he's blue. Yeah. 
and he's got a huge penis. He, he makes <laughs> makes note of that. Yeah. Well, so like, what's fun? Well, so basically, what happens is like it come becomes like a Conan the Barbarian pastiche, yeah. you know. But it's combined with like a nerdy kid's wish fulfillment mm -hmm. to be like super strong and buff, but like put no effort into being so whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that kind of wish fulfillment mm -hmm. going on. And like what's so great is character of Den is narrated is voiced by John Candy. Mm-hmm. Now the thing is is that, you know, when he's kid on Earth and 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 when he's narrating, he does the G Willikers, you know, kind of voice that he has. You yeah. Know, a very comedic voice. High pitched. Yeah, yeah. When you hear it, it's most just kind of his voice, but like, you know, he puts like a little immaturity into yes. it. Then when he speaks as Den, you know, he sounds like, you know, Conan the Barbarian, you know, John Candy doing mm -hmm. his Conan the Barbarian voice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, in this one, there's a lot of irony between the, there's a lot of irony between the narration and in the dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so what happens? <laughs> so he gets his new body. Okay. And he basically looks over. Mm-hmm. And there's like a virgin sacrifice going on type thing mm -hmm. where this lady, again, colossal tits, yes. is trying to sacrifice another lady in this like gigantic cosmic pool. And she's like summing and she's holding a staff with the Loch Ness. Mm -hmm. And so the waters are like almost coming up to reach her, right? Or no, they're about to drop the lady in the water. So they drop the lady in the water mm -hmm. and Den is like, oh no, let me save her. So he dives in. And saves mm -hmm. her, and he just real quick, yeah. like they're they're chanting a name, Ulutek, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the name of the god, you know, the the evil god that they want to summon. They got that because that's Cthulhu backwards. Mm. Yeah, so that's where that comes. That's where that comes from. There was like a lot of Lovecraftian stuff in this mm -hmm. influence, and you know, also all these shorts they're based off of previous works that were published in heavy metal okay i was, gonna, I was wondering that yeah and the Loch Nahr actually comes from the den story from mm -hmm. heavy metal i believe interesting yeah. yeah well okay yeah so i mean it's super interesting it's 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 a fun ride so far yeah so the beautiful lady is is drowning he jumps in he saves her he's like oh man i can hold my breath forever so he swims into like this little cavern and goes through a tunnel and comes out in this like beautiful oasis like type thing. And she's like, Oh, however will I repay you basically? Well, well, she says a couple of things. Like she, she says her name and it's like a very, I think it's like Catherine something or other. Yeah. She speaks with a British accent. She um, does. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you know, she's like, I'm from a place that you probably never heard of earth. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I'm from earth too. <laughs> and she's like, thank you for saving me. I'll pay you with however you want, willingly. Mm -hmm. And and he goes, the narration goes, yeah, she had such beautiful eyes. Yes. And you just see her massive tits <laughs> and his, you know, pretty face smiling at her. <laughs> I barely saw what color her eyes was. Yes. Because <laughs> that's not where the teeth yes. was showing. That's not where you're supposed to look. <laughs> yeah. So, Yes. And and then they make love. <laughs> they, they they make love. Well, well, they're about to make love. They make out. They're 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 about to go all the way when mm -hmm. the beastmen come by. Yes. And yeah. 
And he says, I'd never get a chick like this on Earth. Yeah. So then a bunch of, like, sort of massive, like, creepy, like, I mean, not like, menacing henchman-type people. Like, they're, they're like, gorilla-type bodies. And they come and they, they basically take him back to a palace, right? Mm-hmm. And they take Catherine as well. And he's greeted there by this, like, very <laughs> interesting character named, like, Ard. Yes. Who is very... Uh, Gay? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, like, he's like writhing around on his throne. Yeah, it's he, wonderful. <laughs> he's, he's very effeminate, and he's very coded for gay. Yes. Um, especially, like, with the, with the effeminate voice that he uses, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. But it's so funny the way he like rides around on the throne. It's it's hilarious. Yeah, it's yeah. Because he's wearing like only a toga. Yeah, yeah. And he's like trying to boss Den around, and Den's like, how, he Den kills like all of his servants, mm-hmm. and he's like, like free Catherine or I'll, or I'll kill you. And he's like, oh, I'll take that. Please mm-hmm. kill me. Yeah. So he he shoots him, and he's like riddled full of holes, but they all heal uh, mm-hmm. instantly, and um and so. Ard, the the guy mm-hmm. in the what is it? What does he? What did you call it again? The 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 sash the, thing, the toga. Toga. Thank you. The guy in the toga is like. <laughs> so, Ard is like, do this for me. Get get the what is it called? Again? He wants the Lochnar. Lochnar. Yes. He, he wants the Lochnar because only the possessor of the Lochnar can summon Ulutek and like gain its power. Yes. And, and he says, do this or I'll kill Catherine. And then we see Catherine in case, in case in, in glass. Mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty-esque. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Ard is like the, he's like the opponent or rival of the woman who tried to sacrifice Catherine before. Yes. So so they're rivals. Mm-hmm. And that woman rules Neverwhere herself, but mm-hmm. Ard wants to take over from her. Right. And the reason she rules is because she does a sacrifice like yearly or whatever. Yeah. To the Ulutek. Yeah. Um, with the Lochnar. With the Lochnar. Yeah. So if Ard is able to do the sacrifice with the Lochnar, he can rule Neverwhere himself. Yes. And so Den goes with a bunch of the beastmen to the big boobed rulers yes. palace. Um they sneak inside. A bunch of them get killed by a beast. The gore is awesome. It's like yeah, the gore the red is like it's it's kind of beautiful. Well, the actually. gore in this movie is awesome, like like all throughout, even though like it's different types of animation, mm. you know, with the every with each segment, the gore is is still great for all of them mm-hmm. yeah for sure and and they do a joke where yeah there's a beast here with six inch fangs oh i'm sorry 16 inch fangs mm-hmm. and like immediately as he says that there's that beast that comes out <laughs> and chomps chomps on them so they get to the uh the queen's bedroom and there is the the oh my gosh the lock Lochnar. Oh, the Lochnar, yeah. There it is, glowing in all of its glory. Mm-hmm. So Den walks in, but the light, it's dark inside, so there's yeah. only the Lochnar. Oh, glowing. yeah, that's right. And then... Yeah, so, yeah, it's dark, and then he walks through, and then he stops. You don't see anything, but, like, the lights come on, and you notice that he stops, and his hands are right on the queen's boobs. <laughs> <laughs> 
she's like, oh no. Yeah, and he's surrounded by the queen's guards. Mm-hmm. And she's like, kill him. Yeah, can we kill him? She's like, yes, kill him, castrate him. Can we do it, queen? Yes. And then they take out the knife and she says, no, wait. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's silly. Mm-hmm. That part is very silly. And then she's like, I may have a use for him. Bring him to my bed chambers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> <laughs> she does this very often. Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. tell. Um, so they go to the bedroom and, like, she explains something, right? Does she do any explaining? She does some explaining. I don't remember. Okay. okay. If we don't remember, then it can't be important. Mm-hmm. Or she's like, she's like, your love. Oh, wait, no, no, that's afterwards. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have sex. And she's like, the rise of the moon coincides with our own climax. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, your love could bring peace to the world or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Just unity and stuff. And he's like, that's cool, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And And it was at that point where... The, the, the beastmen that Din snuck into the palace with, they they steal the Lochmar. Yes. And she's like, you betrayed me while we made love. <laughs> and he makes an escape, right? And then they go back to Ard's. He gets back to Ard's palace. Yes. And when he's there, he's trying to do the, the ceremony, you know, to get the power from Ulutek. Yes, Art is is taking Catherine and he's yeah. about to sacrifice Catherine again at the, at the wishing well, basically the magical pool. pool. Yeah, yeah. And then the queen comes by and she tries to stop it. Mm-hmm. And then Den comes by and he tries to stop it to save Catherine. Mm-hmm. And then the queen and Ard fight over the Lochnar. Mm-hmm. They're like. Give it to me. It's mine. No, it's mine. No, give it. No, no, no. It's mine. It's mine. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of funny thing. And then what kills them? Was it oh lightning? I don't know. Oh, what happened was oh, yeah. um, they, they were holding the scepter. They were both holding the scepter at the same time. Yeah. And because he knows about natural electricity, mm-hmm. what he does is like he throws a chain with a spear and he throws it so that it like touches the Lochnar mm-hmm. while the queen and Art hold it. And then he kicks the chain into the pool where Ulutek is. Mm-hmm. And then somehow, <laughs> I guess, does lightning strike the chain and like destroy the queen, Ard, and Ulutek? I don't know if Ulutek is destroyed. Ulutek okay. is not destroyed because, because um, Catherine is like, oh, you could, you could rule the land oh, with, with right. Ulutek and the Lochnar. Okay. But they are destroyed and they are taken as a sacrifice, I think. Those oh. two. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he's like, nah, I'm good. And yeah. yeah. They fly off into the sunset. Yeah, right? I've got you to bone and that <laughs> and, and, and that'll do me fine. Yes. And again he says, On earth I'm nobody. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. So that so, was the first story. Yeah. The first out of many. Well, that was the second story. Oh, second, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Harry Canyon was well we had the prologue and then we have Harry Canyon. And then we have Den, and then we get to Captain Stern. Mm-hmm. With, so, like, these next few ones, they, let's just be honest, they're just, like, filler. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all the length of a rock song. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. 
I didn't really get this one. I mean, it was just like greed is bad, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a sniveling guy who was supposed to was paid off to. Yeah. Yeah. So we can so, skip him probably. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, up to you. Well, so what happens is it's about this guy named Captain Stern, mm-hmm. and he's got like you know this this big chiseled you know chin, mm-hmm. and he's got this well coiffed black hair, and he's wearing like a Napoleon style like you know captain's uniform. Yes. And, like, so he's on trial for, like, all these horrible crimes, you know, murder, fraud, rape, and a moving violation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And and so he, he, you know, how do you plead? And he says, not guilty. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, his lawyer's like, how can you do that? You should plead guilty because, you know, these crimes are so horrible. The prosecutor's got you cold. Just throw yourself at the mercy of the court. And he's like, it's okay. I've, I've got an angle. I've got an angle. He says that many times. Yeah, yeah. He's got an angle for a jaw. Yeah. And, and then there's Hanover, Hanover Fist. Yes. And he discovers the uh, Loch Nahr on the space station. Yes. But it's like the size of a marble. Mm-hmm. And, and so he goes to testify in Captain Stern's favor. Um, because Captain Stern had paid him off. That's right. But then as he speaks, it's like a, a nervous tick where he interrupts himself in a different voice. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde kind yeah, of thing. It's like a pure rage is coming out of him and he starts exposing yeah, um, yeah. the chin man, Stern, yeah. Lincoln Stern. Yeah. Until like, and he just goes bigger, kind of like the whole, mm-hmm. um, he doesn't turn green though. And then he just, you know, smashes things and then chases Captain Stern out of the courtroom and basically just makes a big distraction mm-hmm. because, and you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, just because you fuck up the courtroom, you know, you're still wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. He doesn't so, care. He's he, Captain Chin Man. Yeah. Okay. Stern. Okay. And then, and so he chases Captain Stern and then leads him to a dead end. Mm-hmm. And then all that happens is Hanover Fist like shrinks back to normal size and Captain Stern gives him a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. But then Hanover's like, oh, thanks. And he's like, no, and Captain Stern's like, no problem. And then he opens up a escape hatch and like shoots him out into space. Yep. It's pretty, it's pretty lame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the best. You know, it's apparently it's based off of, you know, pre-existing stories mm. And I'm sure that those stories are good, mm-hmm. especially when you can read, read, you know, read them serialized. Mm-hmm. But as a standalone, it's it's not that great. Yeah, but it is a little interesting. I was curious about what was going to go on. I was a little let down by the end, but it's yeah. still interesting. Yeah. And then we come to what's next. So Hen, let's see. Okay, he's destroying the ship. Okay, all right, no, never mind. Um, the well, well, the next, well, the next segment is the World War II bomber segment. Yes. Okay. So, man, so much has happened. Okay, sorry. <laughs> There's like a bomber airplane, mm-hmm. and they're in a dogfight, and half the crew gets killed. Most, yeah. Almost all the crew, except for the two pilots. Well, the name of the ship is like something... Pacific something. Pacific Pearl. Pacific Pearl. So this is, you know, in the Pacific theater. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the Pacific Ocean. And they're and they're doing a bombing run. Mm-hmm. And most of the horror 
So, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in full. So they do a bombing run. They're taking anti-aircraft fire. And so the bomber, members of the bomber crew are getting killed by bullets. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, you know, just drop your payload. You know, just do it now and let's get out of here. And he, he immediately gets shot up and dies. Mm-hmm. And so the captain, you know, drops the bombs and then they try to get out of there. And so we go back to the cabin of the uh, of the bomber, and there's only the pilot and the co-pilot. And so the, the the co-pilot goes and he looks throughout the throughout the airplane to check up on the crew. Yes, one by one. Yeah, and they're all dead. They're all dead in in various scary ways. It's very cool. Yeah, 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 for sure. And you know this one, you know, just to say now, like this one was written by Dan O'Banion. Mm. And Dan O'Banion, he was the screenwriter of Alien. Mm. So, like, you know, he knows about horror, mm-hmm. basically. And so he goes throughout each position, each crew position uh, throughout the airplane until he gets to the very back part. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he sees the Lochnar following mm-hmm. them. Yes. And then the Lochnar, like, hits the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And that causes some... I don't know, I guess oxygen tanks, it looks kind of like oxygen tanks fall mm. to fall on the co-pilot. Yes. And then that turns all of the dead crewmen into zombies. Yeah. Green yeah. Lochnar zombies. Yeah. 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 And like, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, he gets pulled into, he gets pulled into the bottom gunner pit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the ball turret. Yeah. The, the ball, ball turret. turret. And it's like just this really cool scene yes, of the ball turret. So cool. And then you see like his face smash against the glass and then like be pulled away. And then you see his feet and hands and pulled away. And mm-hmm. then you see the splash of blood from the yes, inside. Yes. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happens is the zombies come towards the the cabin mm-hmm. where the pilot is, and he's the only one alive. Like he he's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, you know, parachutes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he finds himself on a uh, Pacific island. Yes. That's full of a bunch of other downed aircraft. Yeah. And those dead bodies become zombies too. Yes. And then he screams. And then we go to the next segment. Yeah, it was it was kind of cool. It was like a Bermuda Triangle. It was also when the Lochnar was taking the ship. It was as if the Lochnar was steering the ship. It had oh. like separated itself into like three parts. I think. I think. Well, it was like pushing well, the bottom. Well, well, I think what that was is um, there were just holes oh, in the okay, airplane, okay. and like the glow was so bright that it was coming out of those places. But that well, that did look cool. That looked very cool. It was on the back though, on the tail fin. But there was that, but there was that hole in the tail fin. Mm, okay, that where he saw the Lochnar from behind. Okay, so yeah, this one is not as lame as the others because like it looks really cool. But the thing is, is because the stuff with the zombies and the Lochnar that's short. Mm-hmm. That's very short. If they wanted to extend, like they could have gotten rid of the Captain Stern stuff mm-hmm. and like did more stuff with the pilot on Zombie Island. I, agree. I thought, yeah. But, like, it's also interesting, though, because, like, without all the more stuff about the zombies and the Lochnar, it then becomes, well, what's more horrific? You know, this fantasy zombie horror that you think, mm-hmm. or the real horrors of war that you are watching? Yeah. Because, you know, we see these pilots and aircrew getting, you know, torn up to bits by the bullets. Yeah. And... Yeah, I wrote was this like survivor's guilt, you know, like surviving the war and when all of your comrades are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just a metaphor for just war in general. Right. There's another manifestation of evil. Yeah. That the Lochnor portrays and encourages. Mm-hmm. And so then we, we, we transition straight from, you know, 
the um, this island to the Pentagon, right? Yes. <laughs> and that was a weird transition. I try. I forget exactly how it worked, but um, it's very. All the transitions are very psychedelic, and it's mm. awesome. It's again, the visuals of this movie are like the coolest thing ever. Well. In this segment, you realize what some of the inspiration from this movie is. <laughs> the uh, Plut- Plutonian Nyborg. <laughs> oh, yes. So, like, oh, yeah. They're, like, crashing through, and there's... What, what, there's... The, the Coke, the space Coke. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, the creators were coked up on this movie. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's John Candy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, he's a robot, but it's Eugene. Well, I don't know if it's Eugene Levy, but it's Harold Ramis Mm. is is one of the ones who who do the coke. So, um, yeah, it's it's the Pentagon because... um, This one, I didn't understand how the Loch Ness even connects. (laughs) It confused me. That's fair. <laughs> like the lock, I mean, it, the Pentagon was green to begin with. And there was like, there was this scientist that was supposed to, because a bunch of people well, were turning into mutants, right? Well, yeah. Oh, it must've been the lock. The lockdown was turning people into mutants. Okay. That's what it was. Then we go to Dr. Arnak mm-hmm. and Antrak. What's that? Arn, Artrak or something. Okay. Antrak or something. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't last that long. Mm-hmm. Because like he's like a scientist with the Department of Defense and then, you know, he goes he's all pale and like mm-hmm. he, he looks like a like someone from the X Files. Yes. You know? Like a man in black but with very pale skin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he like just makes his way through the Pentagon and like they're asking him all these questions like, How can all these meetings come around? <laughs> and um, like the president there is there and he's like, We gotta do something about that. My constituents are turning green. Yeah. They're growing extra arms. <laughs> yeah, and right next to him is a stenographer, a girl, mm-hmm. a stenographer with huge with a huge rack. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um and like so <laughs> So the scientist tries to explain, but he can't get the words out. Something is going wrong with him. We we don't understand. Well, no, he says there's nothing wrong. This is yeah. there's no alien activity. This is coming from Earth itself. Okay. He's like deny, 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 basically. Yeah, yeah. And then he starts malfunctioning. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, that's fair. And then he jumps on the table, grabs the stenographer, and then motorboats her, basically. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very, very not cool. Very weird. <laughs> Yes. yes, he like malfunctions because of how attractive she is. I guess I don't know, or or it could have been the influence of the Lochnar. True, mean, but it doesn't matter. Yes, he says something though that's like pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> and then he, and then he jumps on her and motorboats her yes. on the table. Mm-hmm. And so then we see the smiley face spaceship. <laughs> yes, it looked like Dead Mouse, um, the, the musician, the guy, the DJ. Well, do you remember the movie Pixels? Mm-hmm. With a Pac-Man, the huge mm-hmm. Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know. I think they got inspiration for that from this mm-hmm. because, like, there's a poster for this movie that's that shot of the smiley face spaceship, like over the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. And so, in Pixels, they have a poster of a giant Pac-Man, like near the Golden Gate Bridge, I think. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that now I haven't seen that movie because there are only Four good Adam Sandler movies, Uh which we can get into at some other episode. Mm -hmm. But from what I understand, like even though they have the giant Pac-Man and they show it in San Francisco, you know, in in, you know, in the the Golden Gate Bridge, 
Like, it never comes up, you know, in the movie. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're just doing that as a reference to this. Uh-huh. And so, like, a giant drill, a hollow drill, like, you know, burrows down through the roof of the Pentagon, sucks up the stenographer, um, and... The malfunctioning robot. Yeah, he's basically a malfunctioning robot. Dr. Andrak. Yeah, and then he, they both get sucked up into the spaceship, and it's such a rough ride that the robot gets all battered, Mm-hmm. And most of the clothes on the on the woman get torn up, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then that's when we meet the the John Candy sex toy robot. <laughs> Do we have to describe this whole story? Because there's no, this is not like a short story. It's just like a weird. Yeah, it's, it's like a fantasy it's segment. A fever dream. <laughs> yes, it's a fever dream. Can I just summarize it really quick? Yes. The John Candy sex bot and the stenographer make love. Sh- he wants to marry her. She wants a Jewish wedding. Oh, well, it, it, well the funny thing, it, it, it's not like that. What happens is like they accelerate the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, hey, you want to go steady? Well, I have a boyfriend. Well, let's move in together. Well, I'm not sure if it'll work out between us. Well, then why don't we get married? That's <laughs> literally how it goes. <laughs> yes. And she says, she says something weird about like. I, I, mixed marriages don't yes, work. Yes, mixed marriages don't work. Uh, one day I could find you. I, I could come home and find you sleeping with the toaster. Yes, and you know she she says that she'll marry him on one condition, which is a Jewish wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and and no, all that's going on. Oh yeah, she asked him if he's circumcised too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forget. Are you circumcised? And, and and she was like, oh, you know, at the beginning she's she's like, oh my god, that sex was incredible. But now I feel so guilty because I have a boyfriend. And he's like, well, it's perfectly natural to feel guilty when you get when women get sexual pleasure from a mechanical thing. <laughs> yes, assistance from like a mechanical device or something. Yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, that that happens. <laughs> oh that happens. Yeah. And, and then we get to alien schmoes. Who um, are piloting this mouse ship or like yeah, this yeah. massive smiley face, face yeah, smiley face, face ship. ship. And, you know, they basically just get bored, and they're like, hey, should we pull out the plutonium Nyborg? And she says, and, and they go, sure. So, it's, you know, they get this thing, it almost looks, you know, it's this big boxy thing, and they, you know, push it like a cart, and there's, like, uh, two nozzles that, you know, create this trail of huge white powder. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a huge trail of white powder. Mm-hmm. It is space coke. Mm-hmm. It is space cocaine. <laughs> Yes. Yes. The one guy does it, and he's like, "Do you think this is enough?" And the other guy's like, "Go for broke." <laughs> yes, go for broke. Yeah. So you know they do the whole thing, and then they each take a different trail and start snorting. It. They snort it all around the trail, around the yeah, around yeah. their and, um, cabin. This is when, and you know, we start another psychedelic sequence. Yes. One which features the. Uh, uh, 1701D USS Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a nice little Easter egg. Yeah, yeah. And then they they go to the their port, their city, their floating city, and they're like, "Oh, we got to land this thing." And he's like, "Oh, I'm coked out of my mind. How am I gonna land this?" And well, well, he's like, "I I I park I I, park, I, I drive better when I'm coked up. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I drive better when I'm stoned because I know I'm stoned." I don't trust what I see. I just let my hands do all the flying. <laughs> Impeccable logic. Yes. And then he continues to like crash inside the space station. 
Yes, indeed. And so that's that. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, good landing, man. Yeah, yeah. Any landing you can walk away from. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the last and probably most famous mm-hmm. sequence of the movie. Oh, but let's go to the real quick. Uh-huh. The intermittent um, segment with the with the girl in the farmhouse. Okay. She's like, the Lochnar tells her that she's basically the child who can destroy the Lochnar. Yeah, I don't know why right. the Lochnar is telling her, but he's like, you're the only one who can destroy me. Like, in between all these segments, like, sometimes they'll go back to the girl just for a little bit to show the Lochnar terrorizing him with his voice in the green line. <laughs> and then, they, you know, go into the next segment. And so he do, does that, you know, before this last segment, mm-hmm. telling her, like, um... You know, you're the only one who can destroy me. And here's the story about how that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah, so what happens is we go to this kind of space fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a volcano. Well, no, the, the Loch Nar comes down, shoots into a mountain. Into a mountain and turns it into a volcano. Yeah, green volcano. It's so cool. Yeah, um, a volcano full of green goo. Yes. And so you have, like, all of these normal, you know, generally good-natured people, like, you know, wonder what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, like, do they go in, I forget, do they go into the volcano, or does the volcano, like, spout stuff, and they get caught in, in its wave? I think it, they get caught in its wave. But, okay. Yeah. And then once the green goose subsides, and you see the people, like, their skin has turned green, their eyes have all turned yellow. Yeah, I don't know if they were, like, normal good-natured people, though, because... They were, they had like the, they looked like an army. Like there was a leader and he had like a medallion. Okay. But I mean, they might be. Well, that's what I always got from watching. Oh, okay. You know, you could be right too. So. So anyway, they get, you know, swapped up, swamped up by this they green wave. Yeah, they <laughs> Locknard. Yes. Locknard. And so they go on, they, they basically go on to conquer like everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And. Like, there's this one, I guess you could say, like, one last remaining fortress. Yes. Where there's, like, you know, the wise ones. Mm-hmm, the elders. And... Okay, yeah, 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 the elders. And, um, like, you know, who can save us? And uh, I think they're, like, the last descendant of Tar- Tarkanian? Or... Oh, man, it's something. It's, like, Tear or something. Um... Or Tarkan. Tarkan's blood. Something like that. Yes. And they're like, his line has died off. And he's like, no. Tarna. Sorry. Well, that's the girl. But like, oh, okay, okay. the guy he, she's descended from. My bad. Yeah. So, yeah. Um... <laughs> super super well animated sequence. Yeah. The bad guys, the Loch Nahr army mm-hmm. are bursting into the inner chamber. Yeah. And there's that kid in the pantsless pink tuxedo. <laughs> Bald headed baby kid. <laughs> With yeah. a pantsless tuxedo. <laughs> yeah, trying to, like, use a foot pedal to brace the door against the battering ram. Mm-hmm. He fails. He gets shot up with spears, and mm-hmm. he falls to the ground, and that's such a well-animated shot. It's so cool because, like, they paid so much attention to, like, the human body. Yeah. Like, he's so riddled with spears, and he's, like, breathing uh, ra- raggedly, and you can mm-hmm. see his, his, like, abdomen move up and down rapidly. It's, like, it's so cool yeah that one shot yes <laughs> yes one shot and then they go on to slaughter the elders mm-hmm. but then can i take a real quick detour so back whenever they were getting uh lavaed or whatever by the lock nard, mm-hmm. when they were getting lock by the wave of green um the guy with the medallion held it up mm-hmm. and like 
his arm was the only thing out of like the lava and it looked just like Gollum in Lord of the Rings whenever he, like he's like oh. dying and I was like oh, I wonder if they took inspiration from that oh well that well that's kind of interesting because do you know about the animated Lord of the Rings movies uh I watched them when I was young they were, they were like Ralph Bakshi or whatever yeah, right? yeah Ralph Bakshi and he rotoscoped them mm-hmm. uh, well a lot of that was rotoscope but that's a whole interesting thing in, in and of itself but yeah sorry no, I just no, wanted fine. to bring that up and also he has like a mechanical hand yeah yeah anyways yeah. cut back to cut um, back to then we then we are get introduced to tarna <laughs> tarna yes and a beautiful just a simple it's a beautiful sequence mm-hmm. it's beautifully composed like the song mm-hmm. it's really great it's a really great sequence where you see this woman she's wearing robes and she's on a hairless pterodactyl <laughs> steed mm-hmm. flying through the sky and then she comes to the temple. She sees the dead bodies of the elders. And then she goes to another chamber. I think she bathes herself. Like, did she go into water? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She goes into like this pool and then comes out. And then she comes across, I, I guess you could call it a warrior's garb. <laughs> yes. Well, first she flies the pterodactyl uh-huh. for like 10 straight minutes okay yeah 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 <laughs> they go across the desert wasteland and stuff also apparently she's got the defender's blood in it that uh, mm-hmm. that cannot refuse the call of like the helpless or whatever right okay sorry then she dr- drives the pterodactyl for 10 straight minutes winds up in this this place and yes warrior's garb mm-hmm. which composed of very long gloves very high boots a little bra for her massive br- bosom and a string to tie it all together. <laughs> yes. It's very like, I don't, I don't know. It's very like almost. Yeah. It's very like, I mean, her putting on her clothes is very like, an, it's like an erotic sequence. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I mean, I don't know if I would call it erotic. It's very slow. Mm-hmm. And for that sequence, they rotoscoped it with a uh, with a model. Mm-hmm. So they filmed the model doing that action mm-hmm. on film. Mm-hmm. And then they, like, you know, they drew the animation frames over the live action frames. Mm-hmm. So it looks like very, re- you get very realistic motion mm-hmm. from that. And I mean, yeah, she gets nude basically mm-hmm. and then puts on all of her clothes. I guess and, it's more sensuous, maybe. Yeah, that's a better example because, like, she's definitely made for the male gaze. Yes. But, you know, it's not really a sequence that I think somebody would jerk off to. Yes. <laughs> so she's not as, like, um, sexualized. She's, she's, like, gorgeous or whatever and yeah. with, like, big boobs and all that stuff, but she's not a sexual. Mm-hmm person like being. yeah it's it's more of it's more the european sense of nudity rather than the american sense of nudity mm-hmm. if that makes any sense yes so. it's more like she's a symbol of something an archetype pure yeah yeah okay yeah so she puts on her super clothes and gets she also gets the sword right yeah, yeah, she and gets the sword. She like raises it, and this like lightning comes down. And also that she's surrounded by these like huge statues. The statues reminded me of Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh, because um, they're like you know various women in in like crouching positions. And it, anyways, mm-hmm. she's got the lightning on her sword. It's very yeah. cool, very cool sequence. Yeah, that part was in the trailer in in the commercials. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, and then she what flies the pterodactyl some more. Yeah. 
she, yeah, she goes to a place and she tries to track down the leader of the Lockdown Army, basically. Mm-hmm. She goes to like a bar or something, beats some of them up, shows the symbol to the barkeep, and he's, he's like, yeah, go to the mountain with the green glow. Well, yeah, there's a bunch of predatory men. It's like an old-fashioned saloon. Yeah. It's very cool. It's like Wild West. She decapitates all of them. She doesn't <laughs> yeah. beat them up. She decapitates them all. Okay, that's fair. Green yeah. blood. It's so cool. It's so cool. Right, right, right. And so she goes to that place. She goes to the to the mountain with the green glow. Mm-hmm. And she, she... So what happens in that? They, like, they like oh, capture her yeah. pterodactyl in a net and her. Yeah, they capture her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they capture her. And then and then the, the leader with the mechanical arm... He's like, yeah, get her cleaned up and then bring her to me. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you see this establishing shot in, like, in his fortress or something. And then he walks toward basically kind of like a slab with, like, electronic buttons and lights on it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he approaches it. And then you see the close-up of what's on the other side of the slab. And it's Tarna naked mm-hmm. <laughs> being bound down. Yes. You, you know, bound to it um, upright. And, you know, he... Uh, when- what, one, yeah. oh, one thing I could kind of jump in with is that as she's flying to this place, it's, there's like a narration that's like, when life loses its value and is taken for naught, you must like avenge, basically. Yeah. So that's her mission now because all the, that whole city is, is wiped out. So now her mission is to avenge. She, w- she was not able to defend as was, you know, the pact mm-hmm. that she could not refuse, which means that she now has to avenge. Mm-hmm. So... You know, gives it that gives it like a real mythic, you know, heroic mythic fantasy, you know, vibe mm-hmm. to the segment. So she's all tied up, or she's like strapped into yeah. this upright bed, and the medallion guy is what I called him. Yeah, he like takes out like five whips yeah. in one hand and yeah. starts like beating her up. I guess it doesn't well, show any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just like he's just like hand me hand me my whips, and so they give him like a whole bunch of whips, mm-hmm. and then like just as he's about to like lash at her, it it cuts to black, mm-hmm. and then we get a fade in of like this pit with like a bunch of ledges, mm-hmm. and we see Tarna naked with all the cut bloody cuts all over her body. Yeah, and. And then they throw down her clothes, mm-hmm. and then they throw some other schmo down mm-hmm. to the pit, all mm-hmm. but all the way down. Mm-hmm. They don't bother to, to throw them on a ledge. <laughs> no. And we also see the pterodactyl bird. It's being handled by you know the rough guys. So yeah, they're it, supposed to kill it. Yeah, they're supposed to kill it. They're trying to kill it, but it's fighting back. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is Tarna starts to put on her clothes. But while the bird, they, what they do is they try to shoot the bird with a spear gun, mm-hmm. but it's able to rear back, and then it pulls one of the bad guys, and he gets speared instead, mm-hmm. and so then it's able to escape. This pterodactyl <laughs> is the most badass sidekick pet ever. Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely true. And then it flies out in the pit, picks up Tarna. Mm-hmm. And they fly off, but not before, and they try to get away, but then, the, unfortunately, pterodactyl bird gets speared. Yes, in the neck. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so they crash and burn into, like, a canyon, mm-hmm. and Medallion Man catches up with them. And then we have the big showdown, right? Mm-hmm. Between, what is her name again? Tarna. Tarna and Medallion Man, I don't know his name. Um, mm-hmm. But he pulls out his hand, it's a mechanical hand, and like whips out like this like roto 
sawed off thing. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It's like it's like whirring. Um, and so she's got her sword, and that's and they they do this crazy sword fight. It's very slow animation, which is weird. It's almost like in slow motion, but it's very like, you know, they are very careful about the body movements and how like to try and make it accurate. But it's also weird how slow everyone moves yeah. in this fight sequence. Well, back then, like you know, that's how some fight sequences were. Like I in well. You know, so I'm kind of a, a fan of old-fashioned martial arts movies. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not super into the genre, but I'm kind of into the genre. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you will notice is that the movements for their fight coordination mm-hmm. is very slow. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's meant to be seen. You know, oh, I see. they want... Well, I mean, that's what I think. I think that they want the audience to follow the action of the fight very simply and clearly. Uh. But the one who changed that was Bruce Lee. Mm. Before Bruce Lee martial arts fights you know they were very well coordinated but bruce lee wanted more realistic fights and so they called him like three kick bruce <laughs> because <laughs> you know he, all of his fight scenes it was just three kicks and then that's it <laughs> you know and it's also a lot different than the shaky cam fight scenes that we get nowadays yes so yeah that's kind of the reason why you know it, this movie is really a throwback to to that interesting yeah but it is a cool sequence mm-hmm. um she gets cut a lot with this razor, this saw. Uh-huh. Um, and her sword isn't really doing her much good. Mm-hmm. It gets thrown uh, away from her, and she's about to basically die mm-hmm. when good old-fashioned pterodactyl comes in again and grabs Medallion Man's leg, crushing mm-hmm. it. Crushing it with its beak. With its beak. It's so yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's badass and it like is, dragging the guy yes. like away from Tarna so, while it has you know three spears inside it. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, it's great. And then yeah, the um, the amulet guy, uh, the medallion guy, uh, like he gets up, he, like his ankle's fucking crushed, so yeah, like he can his barely stand. Leg yeah, is like mush. Yeah, and so like it, it you know brings his hand up to like you know strike at at the thing. And like this movie's so smart, it doesn't like this is the one gore <laughs> that it doesn't show. You know, it's like, yeah, you can show all kinds of of people getting killed. You can show old men getting killed. Mm-hmm. You can show like young women getting killed. Mm-hmm. You can show babies getting killed. <laughs> you can't show animals getting killed. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. And and so that was smart. That was very smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the pterodactyl bird dies. But doesn't Tarna, like, go get the sword? Yeah. That leaves enough time for Tarna. Oh, no. The pterodactyl bird doesn't die. Yeah, it, it, it gets, like, die. really hurt. It gets yeah. really hurt. Well, we don't see anything. We just hear the... You know? Oh, yeah. Also, they're, like, human screams. Yeah. This pterodactyl yeah. sounds like human screams. It's yeah. very unnerving. <laughs> yeah. So that leaves her enough time to get the sword, right? Mm-hmm. And then I forget how she kills him, but... Yeah. I'm assuming she kills Medallion Man. Yeah. In a cool way. Yeah. With the golden sword. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Let's see. Do I have it written down? Well, what happens next is um, oh she, no yeah she she pulls off like she's wounded. The pterodactyl bird is wounded. She barely pulls the saddle off to get the weight off of it so that it's able to fly and like take her over the uh, green glowing volcano over the Loch Nair. Yeah. And the Loch Nair is saying no. Don't do this. <laughs> you don't have to sacrifice yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, like, she she hovers over it, and, like, she brings up her sword, 
and does lightning strike again? I don't. I think she, or, or she like dives she like, in, doesn't she? I don't think she dives in. I think like light, like light emanates from her. Oh, okay, yeah. And then like it displaces the Lochnar, mm-hmm. and so that with that light, she's like sacrificing herself, mm-hmm. and then it the story comes full circle. Full circle. <laughs> And then we go back to the house mm-hmm. where the Lochnar, like, it's starting to break up and being destroyed by Tarna, even though at the same time, it's back at the house and, you know, it, it's happening simultaneously. Yes, with the, with despite, the girl in the, in the farmhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so she's able to run away from the house. Mm-hmm. And then we see, like, first the spirit of the pterodactyl bird, mm-hmm. and then it materializes. And then the little girl gets on top of the bird. Uh, the pterodactyl and it flies away, but then the Lochner explodes inside the house, and like it's a really cool shot because like mm-hmm. the house is animated, but mm-hmm. the actual explosion it looks is like from a miniature model house. That's, yes, yeah. So it goes so from animation cool. to live action, and it's very cool. I think there's a lot of that in this. There's like some backgrounds that are like actually like liquid. They look like liquid. Oh, yeah, I know it's the ones so that cool. you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the blow, they blow up the house and she gets away. Mm-hmm. But you know, then you talk. But but then it. Ta- but then as she flies away, her hair turns white, like yes. Tarna's is, and she gets like that red dagger mark on neck her body tattoo, which we forgot to tell about. Yeah, yeah. Tarna had a neck tattoo the entire time, which was a mark that um, of, of the descendants yes. that, that she was a part of, mm-hmm. yeah, the bloodline that she was a part of. So the little girl is now a part of that bloodline, and the Lochnar was destroyed for another generation. Yes, and. And that's heavy metal. And that's heavy metal. Yeah. Wild ride. Yes. <laughs> yes, a very wild ride. So, yeah. So, this was my pick. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why it was my pick is because if you're going to do mostly art in indie movies, you know, and I'm going to mostly do genre movies, well, this movie is <laughs> the most genre movie that yeah. I can think of. Yeah. You know, it's, all, it's nothing but tropes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think it does it very well. Yeah. And, you know, there's this kind of a, a funny history with this because, you know, this movie was released theatrically in 1981, mm-hmm. but it didn't get to home video until like 1993, I think, like oh, the early wow. 90s. Yeah. And the reason why was because the production company, um, they only had the theatrical rights to all the rock songs. Oh. Yeah. And it's like... These are all like great songs made at the time. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, in the 80s, and, uh, and go ahead. Everyone's on that soundtrack. You got like Sammy Hagar. Well, rockers, yeah. Rockers. Yeah, every, all the rockers. Yeah. You got even like Stevie Nicks. Yeah. Like Devo. Yeah. Devo has like a, a an appearance as like a, a like a sci-fi band in a bar. It's cool. Yeah. In Tardis um, segment. Yeah. And you got Cheap Trick, like mm-hmm. everybody. Ozzy yeah. Osbourne. No, Black Sabbath. Black yeah. Sabbath. Still. Yeah. Nazareth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can understand why they didn't get this for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and and so it's kind of funny because it didn't get released until like the early nineties. And in the early nineties, like that's kind of that's when there was a like so what I kinda wanna connect heavy metal to is like anime. Mm. Because, you know, should I get into this whole spiel about Japanese film in regards to America? Well, sure. Well, you know, the thing that I kind of want to talk about with that is that America has a hegemony globally in regards to entertainment. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the film industry of every other country on earth 
is overshadowed by Hollywood, right? For yeah, in, in historically, yeah, yeah, essentially. But the thing is, is like, well, what do Americans watch when they don't want to watch American movies? They watch Japanese stuff, you know, and that comes from you know, following World War II, the United States occupied Japan, you know, following World War II. And while the occupation, you know, that ended, you know, we still have military bases there. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, they say that there's a special relationship between Great Britain and America, the United States, mm -hmm. because, you know, we, we culturally come from, you know, Great Britain. Mm -hmm. So there's that special relationship that's talked about in geopolitics. Mm -hmm. Well, there's also a special relationship between the United States and Japan, mm -hmm. because the United States is, you know, not only is it in Atlantic nation, it's also a Pacific nation. Mm -hmm. And so that relationship developed following World War II. Yeah. When we occupied it after the war, and then we maintained military bases so that we can maintain our national interests in the Pacific theater mm -hmm. um, and throughout Asia. And so... You can, you can see that, like, sort of give and take, just like with Akira Kurosawa and, and the Westerns, like they they borrow so much from each other. Like, yeah, well, I mean, mainly the westerns are stealing from Akira, Akira mm -hmm. Kurosawa at that time, but yeah. he was inspired by westerns too, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's just so much interchanging and sharing. Absolutely, or stealing, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, then then you know, there's also the kaiju films like you know Godzilla. Mm. You know, that was big here in America. You mm -hmm. know, starting back in the fifties. Mm -hmm. going on through the 60s and then you have anime japanese animation mm -hmm. which came over like way back in the 50s with like you know gigantor mm -hmm. and um astro boy and you know just going on and on so what happens is like each decade there's kind of a wave of anime that gets introduced here in the united states mm -hmm. you know in the 80s that was mostly things like um voltron and robotech and you know a few other shows but then in the 90s there was mm -hmm. a 90s wave and what happened with that was these you know these like i there's there was this company i think called madman entertainment he okay. was one of them but i think there were several companies and what they would basically do is they would buy the license to sell japanese animation mm -hmm. here in the united states okay and like i don't know what happened at that time <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what happened at that time but they wanted to show the, the, so the 90s is a very edgy time. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's a very extremely edgy time, mm -hmm. as well as the anime. So, like Madman Entertainment and the other anime distribution companies like it, they really wanted to stress, like, oh, this isn't the animation for your parents. Mm. So, like, there was a lot of violence, a lot mm. of nudity, a lot of sex mm. in a lot of those anime that came over in the 90s um, from Japan to the U.S. And so it's kind of really interesting that heavy metal, which is full of sex and violence, but it's from Canada, also made its re-release at the same time. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like a perfect timing. Yeah, yeah. Like, even though it's not Japanese, there's still a lot of that energy, yeah. you know? So, so, yeah. So it came out at a really good time then, and also, like, during the 90s, that's when there was a big comic book shop boom going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Heavy Metal, it's based off of a French 
magazine mm-hmm. that would serialize French and European adult comic book um, stories. Mm-hmm. And, and so instead of like... You know, getting science fiction, right? Science fiction, fantasy, you know. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and so like those would get sold into comic book shops. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just by... And, you know, comic book shops, you know, that was really the hub of where all of this kind of, you know counterculture there was a lot of counterculture media mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. you know put out there mm-hmm. and you know you can go into a comic book shop you know get comics but also get manga mm-hmm. and then get the anime and then mm-hmm. get a met you know heavy metal yeah so because of that a specific type of person <laughs> is the one most likely you know to pick up on on all this stuff you know mm-hmm. that kind of that that counterculture of the time. So, so yeah. A sort of perfect timing. Yeah, for sure. For, for its re-release. Yeah. And like another kind of thing that, that I wanted to, to talk about now kind of goes with, uh, you know, we don't see sex and nudity a lot in our movies anymore. Mm. And the reason why is basically because of internet porn. Hmm. You know, before internet porn, you know, movies sometimes had to show some skin in order to get people watch it. Like that was what people thought at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, to titillate audiences with sex in order to get them to watch it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, some movies, they would also film two different versions of a movie, the American version and the European version. The European version would show a lot more nudity. Mm-hmm. Simply because they had more relaxed social mores mm-hmm. uh, for for nudity. Interesting. Yeah, and you know because you know prior to the eighties, the only way that you could see porn basically was if you went to an adult theater. Mm. You had to go to a movie theater <laughs> to watch porn, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's what you know. That's what New York was all about, you know. Right. And the you first know, white was so grimy. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that all changed with the advent of VHS, mm-hmm. where instead of going to theaters, you could just buy a video cassette mm-hmm. and get your porn. Mm-hmm. And you know, that kind of transition, you know, that's what Boogie Nights is basically about. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you had porn being done through VHS, but you also had what's called softcore porn. Mm-hmm. which is where you show nudity and depictions of sex, but you don't show insertion. <laughs> and that was the big draw for cable, like mm-hmm. HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, which mm-hmm. used to be called Skinemax. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. They would have their daytime programming. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, late at night, um, when the kids were supposed to be asleep, mm-hmm. they would have their soft core. You know, they'd show their soft core movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a whole industry. That was a whole industry. And that, it seems to me that, you know, that went away with internet porn. Mm-hmm. When everybody can just get porn, you know, whenever they want. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's sexual gratification through a medium, they'll just do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't need the pretense of, you know, you know, they don't need the pretense of a movie. Right in order to get that sexual satisfaction and i mean so the reason why i'm talking about this is not just because i'm a pervert you know (laughs) it's not (laughs) i swear to god Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the reason why i bring this up is because 
It changed movies. Yes, exactly. It really changed movies. You know, because if you go back and you watch Halloween, you know, that shows, you know, breasts. And the reason why was because it was a cheap horror movie, you know, meant for drive-in theaters. And to get the kids to watch it, you had to show skin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, like I said, there was a whole industry, a whole industry of low-budget softcore porn. Mm-hmm. And that's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, movies, cinema, cinema has totally divested, you know, divided so, you know, we no longer need to have sex in our movies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's like another reason why I kind of want to show this movie was, you know, how, you know, you know, this one is kind of extreme. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we don't we don't show sex in movies anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. So it is very, very interesting. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I forget what I was going to say, honestly. <laughs> that's fine. But yes, uh, it, it has, I, I can see, you brought that up to me before, mm-hmm. and I can see how it has changed movies in general. Mm-hmm. And now it, it's not, sex scenes are not really for titillation very much. They're mm-hmm. just for, they're for character or like, I mean, romantic, I guess, or like, you know, there's more fantasy, I guess. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's not as much just to turn people on and get people to come like people people don't come to the theaters just to watch these yeah scenes or because they have these things in them mm-hmm. they watch it for the movie like right. you're saying right so if it's in a movie you know chances are there's probably a really good reason why i was told about this one south korean movie i can't remember the name of it basically it was about these two young men and a woman and then there's a scene where the young Korean mo- woman, you know, they're outside and like she just takes her clothes off and gets naked and like walks around mm-hmm. and it's not perfilation at all. Like you can tell just by the cinematography and by the performance of the actress mm-hmm. that her being nude in public at that moment means something. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you know, it changed cinema. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it really changed low art, mm-hmm. but also high art too, to where you know, we don't need, you know, we don't need sex scenes shoved in mm-hmm. anymore. So, but now that means that high art doesn't have to stay away from it because it's, yeah. it's hush hush because it's low. Yeah. They can include it now that it's story. Yeah. As long as they make sure it's story. Yeah. So interesting. So, yeah. I mean, I thought the themes of this movie were interesting. Mm-hmm. I, it, they were, they felt a little superficial. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Because this movie is basically just uh, an exhibition of amazing artwork as far as like the animation mm-hmm. is amazing. The style of this movie. Yeah. Is... Do, do you want to talk about the major influence on the style? Mobius? Oh, we, we talked about him in the beginning oh, okay. a little bit. Um, do you want I to talk more about it? I don't know much about Mobius. Okay. I just know he was a big contributor to the early stages of Heavy Metal Magazine. Mm-hmm. And I like I like the look of his art. It's very very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just gonna say one thing about I I, I like the detail that the girl the whole time mm-hmm. her necklace is has like a heart on it. I was like that's kind of cool. Like she's the one who defeats the the evil, the greed, and the hatred is is love. Mm-hmm. And I was like yeah. that's that's a nice little <laughs> yeah, nugget yeah, to yeah. take away from this, but. Well, yeah, there is a lot of superficiality in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like they're not they're not trying too hard. <laughs> no, they are. You know, with with you know connecting it all, and that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's, it's still a good watch. If you did watch this movie on drugs, you would 
You would never not watch this movie on drugs. I'm yeah. Sure. yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's. I mean, it makes me feel like I'm on drugs. It, it's. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's like again, like the 2001 Space Odyssey sequences of just like trippiness, the psychedelicness. It's so cool. It's so fun. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you enjoyed the movie. I, I enjoyed the movie. I wanted something a little deeper. Uh-huh. Didn't get that. Right. But it was a fun trip. Okay. And visually, it was awesome. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. And the soundtrack. Soundtrack was great. And there were some really funny parts, too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she had beautiful eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he was looking at. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> What was your favorite segment out of all of them? My right? favorite segment? I I would yeah, Den. Den is my favorite segment for sure. Yeah. Because like it's the funniest. I mean, Harry Canyon is funny, but like it's it's a very mean. It's mm-hmm. a it's a very mean segment. And Tarna, you know, that doesn't have any humor at all. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um it, it but it is very earnest. It is very earnest, yes. which is nice. Um, That's the most earnest one. Yeah, but it doesn't have humor. And I I love how Din is more tongue in cheek and mm-hmm. the John Candy narration alone is yeah. great. Yeah, I love John Candy. You know, this movie came out, you know, when I was a teen. Mm. So yeah, yeah. Did you see it in theater? No, no, no. It only had a theatrical release in, like, 1981. Okay. It might have had a release since then, but mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in the theaters. Okay. Um, I first got this on videotape, and then DVD, and then Blu-ray, and then stream. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> I, I really do. So. It's a good time. Absolutely. Well, especially if you watch it alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> And and with that, let's let's leave our audience alone. <laughs> I think that's okay. a good segue. Yeah. So and um yeah, we'll um I hope I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and that you, you guys come back for more. Indeed. Indeed. Next, yeah. Are are we staggering them consistently so they're like art and then genre movies? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's cool. I guess so the next one will probably be some sort of art movie. Whatever art movie or indie movie or whatever any kind of movie. Like you're not limited to true, true art true. or indie. You know, you can choose whatever movie you want. See you guys next time, in other words. Bye yeah, guys. we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.